This is Scenic Roots. I'm Ray Bassett. Thanks for joining us. Iron Man Chattanooga is back. Sunday's triathlon featuring a swim, a bicycle ride with two round trips between Chattanooga and Chickamauga, Georgia, and a run with two loops through downtown Chattanooga begins and ends at Ross's Landing. Tim Morgan is chief sports officer for Chattanooga Sports, a division of the Chattanooga Tourism Company, and Brant Donlin is sports business development manager there. Tim, Brant, thanks for joining us. Wonderful. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Tell us more about this year's Iron Man. All right. Well, see, you can see that I, I dressed to impress today. <laughs> I actually just got off the uh, Tennessee River checking on our swim start uh, <laughs> for this uh, Sunday's race, full distance, uh, Little Debbie Ironman Chattanooga. You've got the windbreaker, you've got the t-shirt, you got all the gear, you are ready to go. We are ready to rock. That swim start is uh, ready to rock. They're currently setting up getting the epicenter of activity, Ross's Landing, ready to go for all of our uh, wonderful athletes and participants that'll be traveling into Chattanooga to be a part of this race. And give us the big picture of the entire course. Just take us through. So this race in particular is, it kicked off our relationship with Ironman back in 20, uh, what was it? 2014 was the very first race. race. Ross's Landing is our start, finish, and transition area. And ultimately what they'll do is we'll get the athletes up to just north of Kenko, which is right on the Tennessee River. And that's where they will start their 140.6 adventure. The athletes will jump into the water. They will swim downstream and get out at Ross's Landing. So that'll be how many miles, Brent? 2.4. There you go. We're just testing to make sure he still (laughs) still has it. So 2.4-mile swim. They'll get out at Ross's Landing. They will transition in the parking lots at Ross's Landing, get on their bikes, and start heading into North Georgia where they will do, how far, Brant? You want that 112 yeah. miles, too? <laughs> well, actually, it's not 112, Brant. That's Brent. true. We're the only destination that has 116-mile bike ride. All right. Because of the configuration of the roads, you can't have less than, but you can have greater than. And so we had four more miles, but it's supposed to be 112. We actually, you know, as Brant told That's me. why you see that 144.6 bumper sticker. Around town. Right. <laughs> every, every so often, yes. So after uh, they go through the rolling hills of North Georgia, they transition once again at Ross's Landing and start their 26.2-mile run, which that is a hard 26.2 miles, right, Brent? Up and down. Up and down those hills. Uh, up and down the, the I can't do it. North Shore hills. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, a hard, it's a hard run. I can assure you of that. And then how have you been preparing for this year We are more than a year and a half into the pandemic. Of course, this is outdoors. Things were tough this time last year. Tell us how we're moving forward this year. Right. So everything's open air. Like even even the tents, they have no walls on them. So everything is just open air. Ironman has pretty stringent COVID protocols. They're not applying every single one of them like they did in May, but they are still recommending masks. They are definitely recommending and putting measures in place for timed check-in. So they're spreading out groups. So there is still social distancing. And then uh, there'll be hand sanitizer, you know, everywhere you turn around. So there are COVID protocols still being put in place for this particular event. But really, the responsibility falls upon the individual to 
understand and know their comfort level and hopefully they are still taking covid very seriously and when i say they i mean the individual themselves when they're out in public what about the weather especially with some of the rain we've been having around here oh my goodness <laughs> come on weatherman jump in he's a wannabe weatherman and i'm, I'm waiting for the for the moment that he uh says hey I'm changing careers. This might be it. I get my, my novice weatherman badge that I, I wear. Not, it looks beautiful for this weekend. Actually, might be the first September Ironman, not 90 degrees. Yeah, I will say we've had uh, two years ago, 18 may have been, or 17. 17 may have been. 17, 18, and 19 was. Every single full distance Ironman, except for the very first one, we've had 90 degree weather. That is not good. We had some of the largest dnfs did not finish rates across the world really because of the heat i'm knocking on wood right now we have what's the temperature supposed to be like 70 right at 70 high 60s really i thought it was going to be a little bit hotter than that all right well if because the weatherman's never right but (laughs) if you are even close to being well that's perfect so i'm I'm, if i'm wrong then i'm it, it should right be, into a new career. That's, can, that's why Brant is keeping his day job. That's exactly <laughs> there you go. It, it should, the, the environmental conditions should be some of the best that we've ever seen. I will tell you this. Hopefully, Mother Nature has turned off the nozzle and will allow all of this wonderful overflow to head downstream so TVA can control the water and cut off flow 45 minutes to an hour prior. There's still going to be, I mean, it's... Gravity, right? So water will be running down, but they've been a kind partner throughout the years to help us control the flow and make it the safest conditions possible for the swimmers. And then this is an opportunity for people to come out, for people to be outside, for people to be outdoors, for community. And what have you been hearing from people? What have you been hearing from participants? What have you been hearing from Business, community organizations. So businesses are happy that people are traveling in to this market to stay overnight in hotels, eat at our restaurants, shop at our retail. Because at the end of the day, that's the business that our sports commission, Chattanooga Sports, that's the business that we're in, is that economic impact and the positive impact that these events have on our community. So if you want to get a little fresh air, you have 140.6 miles to stretch out. And watch the race, whether you want to watch the swim from the pedestrian bridge or you want to watch the bike as they go into North Georgia. You can go to Ironman.com, check out all the maps and find your viewing points as you see fit. But there's definitely ample opportunity to get a little fresh air, come out and see one of our largest events in this community and do it in a safe way where you feel comfortable. What are each of you looking forward to? Finally, cooler weather during Ironman. You know, <laughs> while we're out there, it is tough. I can't envision what they go through through those trek. But, I mean, not only them, but emergency management people are out there. I mean, they're putting their time in. So, I mean, it's huge, huge for them to see cooler weather as well. I'm looking forward to us hosting major events in a safe manner and hopefully get one step closer to normalcy. Whatever that new normal may be, hopefully will not be like last year where everything was pretty much shut down. So I will say we do this event and we do other events as one community. Grant mentioned emergency management personnel. We can't do this event without them. And that's police, fire, EMS, all of the 
people in Walker County, all the people in Hamilton County, we're all working together as one team to produce a quality product that our community should be proud of. And we've been doing it since 2014, and we want to continue that trend. So that's what I'm looking forward to, is to producing that quality product that our community should be proud of. And if people want more information, they want to keep up on the race, they want to turn out, where can they go online? Ironman.com, Google Ironman Chattanooga, a bunch of tabs on that website. It can lead you to find spectator guides, athlete information, all that good stuff. Yep. Tracking. Eventually, you can go to ChattanoogaSports.com, but we're revamping our website as we speak, so yep. it's, a little, it's a little spotty. <laughs> <laughs> Got to make it better. Got to make it better. Continuously improving. That's right. Continuously improving. In the meantime, Iron Man is back. Tim, Brant, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Born here in Chattanooga, Ishmael Reed is a literary icon whose works range from poetry and prose to plays and novels. He is one of the voices in the new Ken Burns film on boxer Muhammad Ali that aired this week on our public media partner, WTCI-PBS. He is author of the book, The Complete Muhammad Ali, and here are just a few of his many reflections he shared with me about Ali's life and career. Ishmael Reed, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Tell us about the first time that you saw Muhammad Ali. It was before he became Muhammad Ali, right before he became Muhammad Ali. It was 1963, and you saw him reading poetry in New York. Yes, he came downtown to a coffee shop called The Bitter End, and he read with a poet named Diane Wachowski. He's very, very well known. Now. And I remember the convertible arriving, and there was this kid, you know, with the, the cheerful face, you know, the smiles, uh, the curiosity looking around at the territory and, you know, surveying the territory. He read his poetry. I didn't go into the coffee shop, but I was standing outside when he arrived. By this point, he had already competed in the Olympics, and his boxing career was on the rise. How much of that were you already following at that time? Because this is right before he fights Sonny Liston. Well, he was a television boxer, and I think television has really corrupted the sport because uh, boxers are now promoted on the basis of their being charismatic, you know, like Pacquiao, their good looks over their talent. That's the first way we saw him, how we became acquainted with him was through television. Then I saw him box at Madison Square Garden. And I remember a lot of celebrities were there. Jim Brown, there was Jackie Robinson. He was on crutches and everybody turned out to see this star and he lost the fight. Although they gave him the decision. Most sports writers, and I would agree with them, that Doug Jones, who was fighting him at the time, actually won that fight. And Doug Jones never recovered from that, which was sort of like an injustice. There, you could see that they were promoting Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay at the time because he was a box office draw. And then talk about his relationship with the Nation of Islam, the way that you have written about it in your book about Muhammad Ali, which came out some years ago. It was a lot more complicated than how it's been portrayed in popular culture since then. I think that the what I call the Ali scribes. These are uh, mostly white writers based in the Northeast who sort of like admire uh, Muhammad Ali on the basis of his stand on the draft. But without looking at the Nation of Islam, they would know if they had actually uh, talked to some of the people in the Nation of Islam, they would know that Muhammad Ali was merely following the precedent set by Elijah Muhammad, 
who's the leader of the Nation of Islam, Elijah Muhammad, had set the precedent of avoiding the draft in World War II. Muhammad Ali, like many of us, encountered racism. You know, I had first, my encounter with racism look, look out my, was on Lookout Mountain, where I was drinking from this fountain as a kid, a child, and my mother grabbed me. My mother's very well-dressed, always well-groomed, polished. She couldn't drink from this fountain, but the whites could. So we've all had experiences like that. The Nation of Islam answered these questions for Muhammad Ali. So in that scene where he says, no Vietnamese ever called me N-word, he was instructed to say that. Talk more about how those three years where he was out of the ring because of his stand against the draft during the Vietnam War, how that impacted the arc of his career as a boxer when he was able to get back into the ring? Well, you know, despite what others have written, uh, he lived uh, fairly well during those years. You know, some sports writers said that we missed the best of Ali because he's deprived of those three years. He slowed down. So Ron Lyle, his uh, competitor, said, you know, you could hit him. I mean, before, he, he was so fast. As a matter of fact, Clayton Riley, sports writer, the late uh, Clayton Riley, who I he's like a middleweight. I mean, he's moving around like a middleweight, although he was heavyweight. But after those uh, years, those three years, he slowed down and he got hit, got hit a lot. I include the measurements of his being attacked until the punches landed and compared them to his uh, boxing career before and after the three years. And so he took a lot of punishment. And I think uh, what happened was he stayed in the ring too long. Manuel Stewart, the great trainer, late Manuel Stewart, whom we, we interviewed in Las Vegas, said that he should have quit after the uh, fight with George Foreman in Zaire. Why do you think he stayed in the ring too long? What do you think yeah. drove him to stay in the ring as long as he did? Well, I think he had to, he had to take care of this entourage. He's picking up these people's bills. He's very generous. I don't know about his philanthropy in terms of uh, institutions or, or you know charities, but I know that he gave a lot of money to individuals. And one of the people I interviewed in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, said that he would give, he's very generous to him. He would give him thousands of dollars just on a whim. So I think he had this huge entourage and he had to pay child support, just had a lot of bills and was in debt. But uh, I think 30 people traveled with him to Manila, Florida to Manila when he fought Joe Frazier. So he picked up all their bills. And as a matter of fact, you know, he fought his last two fights while experiencing brain damage, according to uh, his trainer. He fought the fight with Burbick and the last fight with uh, Larry Holmes, where he took a, a real beating while undergoing uh, or experiencing brain damage. You also have written about his journey, Ali's journey from his views of black nationalism, his association with the Nation of Islam in the 1960s, to what you describe as universalism. He had an appeal to many different religions. As a matter of fact, he was celebrated by Buddhists, and he abandoned the black nationalist point of view. So did Elijah Muhammad in 1974. Before he died, he went to Ireland and met the Gradys. Abraham Grady was an ancestor. And, uh, you know, I, I met his mother, uh, Muhammad Ali's mother. You could tell the mixture there, uh, Irish African mixture, you could tell. It was, it was obvious to me, her looks, her appearance. So he went to uh, Ireland, and thousands of people turned up and met the Grady's, his ancestors. And so, uh, you know, he had abandoned this sort of like narrow view of our ancestry that we had in the 1960s. Assess 
his legacy as a boxer, how you see he fits into the pantheon from even before Jack Johnson to what boxing has become today? Well, it's become a joke. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at more UFC stuff than boxing. <laughs> Actually, you know, I think uh, some of these promoters have destroyed the sport. But I think his legacy is that, you know, boxers began to, to make more money like boxers. How would you regard him among the other boxers, those that came before him, those of his time before boxing became as you've described it today? Well, I, I think it's hard to tell. I think Joe Lewis probably uh, was more powerful a puncher. But, you know, he made fun of Joe Lewis. He, for example, described Joe Lewis as like a mummy, really one dimensional, where I think Muhammad Ali exhibited a variety of techniques. But he was a scholar. I mean, he uh, his idol was Sugar Ray Robinson who was pound for pound the best, probably the greatest boxer in history. Of course, I think Floyd Mayweather is underrated. He's a what you call a bad, bad end in the South, you know. So uh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves, but I think Floyd Mayweather is probably competitive as uh, one of the great boxers. But I don't know. I think there's going to be a before his the three years, Ali, and what happened afterwards, and uh, then his triumph in uh, the Zaire over George Foreman, I think is probably the peak of his career. That's his greatest achievement. Depicted in another documentary, When We Were Kings. In that film, you see Slow Down, that uh, rope instead of the dancing around and all the agility of the earlier fights. What he noticed was that after six rounds, Foreman became exhausted a lot of times. And so he waited around until he, the guy was really ran out of gas. He just almost just fell when he got hit. Talk about the last time that you saw Ali in 2005. Well, you know, I went to uh, this $1,000 gala, my first $1,000 gala. I spent $1,000 to get into the, the opening of the Ali Center in Louisville, Kentucky. I was the only one who wasn't applauded or recognized as I walked down the red carpet. I felt like really, <laughs> I'm walking down the red carpet. <laughs> And I met a lot of people there, B.B. King, all these celebrities, you know, and Dundee and all of them, you know, all these celebrities. It was sad because uh, you could see that uh, Ali was really suffering from uh, all this damage that he probably suffered in those fights. My brother's a doctor. He said it's not Parkinson's. It doesn't look like Parkinson's disease. It was like dementia brought about by all these injuries to the head and concussions. He just seemed uh, spent and fatigued. And Yolanda... Ali probably saved his life or lengthened his longevity because he was broke. And some people said he was near death until he met her. She had a crush on him since she was a child. And after Veronica, the third wife, left him, she married him and he sent her to business school. And she was able to finagle that $50 million deal where the same firm that uses Elvis Presley's name, he gave them permission to use his name for $50 million. And so once in a while, you'll hear his name on, you'll hear him in a commercial on television. That was the result of that deal. So he's able to live out the rest of his life in comfort because of her. Now, when I was uh, down in Louisville, Kentucky, a lot of the guys, uh, hang, you know, guys who were part of the entourage, they complained about her because she cut off contact with all of them and uh, supervised his calls so that uh, he would be bothered by these guys. And they were really upset. Even his brother, Rockman, they were all complaining about her attitude about the entourage and the hangers-on and all that. So she protected him, and uh, he was able to live the uh, rest of his life in relative comfort. And if people want to 
follow your work in any way? Is there a place they can go online? Yeah, IshmaelReed.org. IshmaelReed.org has all my stuff there. All right. Ishmael Reed, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Watch the Ken Burns film on Muhammad Ali online anytime through October 10th on WTCITV.org. You're listening to Scenic Roots. More in a moment. This is Scenic Roots. I'm Ray Bassett. Along the Rossville Boulevard corridor, which runs from the I-24 overpass in Chattanooga south to the Georgia state line, there is now a taco tour highlighting Guatemalan and Mexican cuisine. Seven restaurants are participating in the tour, which began last Saturday and runs through next Saturday, October 2nd, organized by the Boulevard Project to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. Heather Herwire and Jasmine LeBlanc are with the Boulevard Project. Heather, Jasmine, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having us here today. Tell us more about the tour. It's already underway. Yeah, we kicked off the taco tour on Saturday, September 18th, and it runs for two weeks through Saturday, October 2nd. And we are celebrating our Hispanic Heritage Month by celebrating the Latino culture along Rossville Boulevard and encouraging folks to come out to Rossville Boulevard and across the state line into Rossville, Georgia, to visit the different taquerias that we have out there. And this is a first from the Boulevard Project. Yeah, this is the first time we've been able to do something like this. Um, We're excited to do it. We have something unique here, which is within our stretch, having multiple places to stop for kind of something the same and consistent. And it's something we do ourselves is just like try out different tacos every time a new place opens. But we know when we go in, like sometimes menus aren't in English or like there's some kind of barriers. And we want to kind of break down those barriers to be able to share something that we feel is special with our community with Greater Chattanooga. And when we talk about the Latino community along that corridor, as we do in other parts of our area, other parts of the country, we're talking about more than one nationality. Correct. Yeah, we have a pretty significant Guatemalan population who live along Russell Boulevard Corridor, frequent the businesses there. And then second to that would be folks who are from Mexico. And tell us more about some of the restaurants that are participating in this. We have everything from a folks who are operating out of a taco cart to well-established businesses like Amigos at Peerless Mill over in Rossville, Georgia, some bigger establishments, and then some smaller mom-and-pop restaurants. And folks from, we have Guatemalan and Mexican restaurants who are both participating. We're really excited to promote the business community over in Rossville Boulevard. We feel like that's something that isn't done in Chattanooga as a whole, is promoting businesses and just excited to help people feel more comfortable coming to the boulevard and inviting people to come visit Rossville Boulevard. Yeah, a lot of our um, restaurant owners love feeding people and they love having that experience and they love their customers. So it's something that we really wanted um, other people to kind of get a glimpse at is that a lot of these folks have worked really hard to open up their restaurants and have been giving back to our community for a long time, whether it's like donating food to events or just available for catering and all kind of other things. And at a moment's notice, they're ready to help and do whatever they can. So we're glad for the opportunity to be able to help them and get other people in there to kind of experience these different types of food. Because even from one place to another, there's going to be different things on the menu because everyone's got their own style and flair and kind of how they feel and their passion for food comes through from a lot of the chefs. And it's been really exciting, too, to just see how excited the businesses have been about this. So some of the businesses have had new menus printed or new shirts. They've worked on their social media presence enhance the kind of the decorations in their restaurant. So it feels like really a, a true communal sense and excitement that we've got. Talk to me more about the food, some favorites. Yeah. So one of my personal favorites are the chicken empanadas at Miss G's, which are not on the taco tour menu, but it's like one of my go-tos. 
but you can get all kind of dishes. Like if you haven't tried an authentic fish dish, like a full on lunch platter, like you haven't really fully experienced some of these restaurants, like the food that comes out from those kitchens, you're like, okay, where, where did this get sourced? Like, where does this come from? But like several of our restaurant owners try to source a lot of things locally from our local markets. Um, as well as lo- local regional wholesalers. So they care a lot about it. And like they're all of them are much more than ta- just tacos. I just tried a gordita recently over at El Gallo Giro. And so gordita is kind of like, I think it's like a Guatemalan version of a pita sandwich with it, it like kind of stuffed in a corn tortilla instead of in a pita. And it was super tasty. Meat, lettuce, tomato, fresh crumble cheese. So I'd recommend that to anyone along with... Uh, pupusa. They have some. Sorry, I was just trying to think the word. Oh, okay. So yeah, El Gallo Gear also has great. It's pupusas. so good you forget yeah. the name. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so pupusa is either beans or meat and cheese, kind of like mashed together inside of a fried corn tortilla, and it's super tasty. One of the restaurants has a lot of potatoes featured on their menu. So Taqueria La Delicia. They have a pollo or a papas loco. So potatoes, meat, ketchup, mustard. It just looks like a dish that I've never tasted before so uh, I'm excited to try that out. It's all freshly cut like they've cut all the potatoes like right before the order like every day they go through cases and cases of potatoes like it is probably the highest quality french fries you're gonna find in Chattanooga. Jasmine actually completed a mural over this past weekend so installed a mural on the side of the Tienda El Aguila building which is right on the same property as the Taqueria La Delicia food cart so if you're Leaving downtown and driving down Russell Boulevard, you can look for a building with flashing lights and then a boy holding an eagle surrounded by sunflowers and green peppers. And then the taco cart will be right there on your right-hand side. It's also at the entrance to Crabtree Farm. So we're just really excited about the synergy at that intersection with such a great taco cart, the store, the mural, and then Crabtree Farms. Yeah, I just want to point out, if you're going to head to La Delicia, make sure you bring cash. They're one of our few that are cash only. Most of our other locations are accepting cards, but they're still cash only at this time. But that just gives you more options of what you can experience. And it's also kind of the first stop on our taco tours. You're coming from downtown Chattanooga. And you are also offering a card. Yeah, so we have a taco punch card. We're pretty excited about that. Amigos at Peerless Mill in Rossville, Georgia will be giving a free queso dip to anyone who visits all seven restaurant locations. So if you can get all seven punches within the two-week period, bring it down to Amigos in Rossville, Georgia for a free queso dip. They also have really good margaritas if you want to get a margarita with your queso dip. (laughs) And a great atmosphere. If you haven't been to Amigos in Peerless Mill, it is a beautiful restaurant, really well-designed. So I encourage you to visit it just for the ambience. And if people want more information, where can they go online? Yeah, as always, you can visit www.theblvdproject.com. And we have a taco tour page on our website. You can uh, learn what each restaurant is offering, see their mini menu available in English. So if you're intimidated about visiting a restaurant that appears to be mostly in Spanish, um, don't worry. They will all have mini menus in English printed on site, but also you can look at them on our website. Each restaurant provided five items that they are their specialties. So we encourage you to try those out as well. And you can find all your information there. All right. Heather, Jasmine, thanks so much. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. The Master Gardeners of Hamilton County host their Fall Garden Festival on Saturday here in Chattanooga. Suzanne Ford is president of the Master Gardeners. Suzanne, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Tell us about what's coming up. The Master Gardeners are having a Fall Garden Festival on Saturday. It would be the same weekend as the county fair, and since that is not happening this year, we decided we would have an event at our headquarters, which is at the Ag Center off of Bonnie Oaks. So it'll be outdoors. 
We'll have vendors. We'll have demos, exhibits, things for children. It's uh, $5, and children under 12 are free. Tell us more about what the festival has to offer. Well, people think of spring as the time when you want to be in the garden. But actually, fall is equally important. It's the time to plant trees, shrubs. You can get some perennials in the ground. And most importantly, you want to prepare your garden beds for the winter. So mulching, we'll have a demo on composting. We'll teach people and show people and people can ask us questions about what to do. What are some things that you look forward to doing in the garden this time of year? Well, right now, I'm still enjoying what I've planted and the pollinators. You know, people think that this is the time to rip everything out, but the bees and the monarchs are traveling through and they need our summer flowers in order to survive. But soon I will be getting ready to prepare my boxes. I'm gonna also be getting ready to plant some fall vegetables. Lettuces, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, all of these are plants that do really well in cooler weather. They're sweet and delicious, also carrots and radishes. So it's a time when you can, in October, put something in the ground and have something to eat in December or January. And this is just another example of what the Master Gardeners are all about. We teach you how. That's right. And that's part of our program is education, is reaching out. I mean, in the last year and a half, we haven't been at places where people normally see us, like the Rock City Festival in May and at the farmer's markets. So this is our chance to meet and greet and have people come to the Ag Center. It's actually wonderful be outside in a natural environment. Everybody looks forward to our expo in April, and we will be having that, if everything is good, in 2022 at the Camp Jordan Arena. But to be outdoors, to be among the trees, to be able to point to things in the ground is really quite wonderful, we discovered. And so we're looking forward to doing it again, and and we're going to try to make that some part of our regular activities going forward. And tell us more about what the festival helps. The festival proceeds support our scholarships. We provide scholarships to juniors and seniors at the uh, land-grant colleges in Tennessee who are studying agriculture and horticulture. And our contributions have made a tremendous difference in the educational lives of people who've received them. And the funds support our community programs. We help community centers make raised beds. We teach people how to, again, plant in the spring, summer, and fall. And so these help us to get material so that we can support this in different areas and bring more gardens to more places. People also call our hotline. And they email our hotline with questions, mghchotline at gmail.com. And if you have your rose bushes looking sad, send a picture and we'll help you to figure out what might be wrong. And if people want more information about the festival, where can they go online? They should go to our website, www.mghc.org. And there is a link on our homepage that will take you. We also have a... QR code on the Fall Festival page that will you can download a map of the festival and you'll be able to see where everything is. All right, Suzanne, thanks so much. Thank you. What makes downtown Chattanooga special and unique? 
We're talking with people and businesses who will tell you how in a series of conversations we call We Are Downtown in collaboration with River City Company. In this conversation, we hear from Mark McKnight and Chris Likens of Lost Art Stationery. Mark, Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, Ray. Happy to be here. How did you find your way to Chattanooga? We moved here when I was nine years old. I went to Sunnyside Elementary. My dad moved here from Indiana. He was wanting to attend Tennessee Temple to learn music. Long time ago, 1982. I was introduced to Chattanooga while I was working at a summer camp in college. And it was actually in Mentone, Alabama, which is on Lookout Mountain but it's the Alabama part of Lookout Mountain. So it's about 45 minutes outside of town. And we would take our nights out to Chattanooga, sometimes go walk the bridge. At the time, there were a few things downtown, but not nearly what we have today. Eventually just fell in love with it and ended up moving here. And what makes Chattanooga special for you? That's a really tough question to answer because there's so many things about Chattanooga that I love, but I think it's the mix of open space and green space, all the parks and outdoors that are in such proximity to all the fun stuff, the restaurants. And I live right across the street from a coffee shop. So there are all these kind of cultural and things to do with other people, but then it's really easy to get out into the woods or out into an open park and spend time outside. And Chris, how about you? I think for me, as I grew up in Chattanooga and then had the opportunity to move away when I went to college, and then at some point when you're chasing big cities, thinking that you'll find the solution to all the things that you hope to find in your life, only to realize that you can have those things at home. You just have to make them happen. And as a result of that, I moved back to Chattanooga and really fell in love with the city that I'd grown up in because of its outdoor spaces, its downtown spaces that I think you have that great mix of urban environments, but you're able to get away quickly to go to the outdoors and enjoy yourself in the space of Chattanooga. What do you think is a hidden gem in Chattanooga? I think that's a difficult question for me to answer in many ways because I'm from Chattanooga and I know it so well, I feel like, but I think There are tons of hidden gems around. I was driving around to a place I love to go, but decided to get on the interstate, but I wasn't where I normally was. So I was driving all around this town in Eastridge where I went to high school and I'm like, I've never seen this part of Chattanooga before. So I think that the hidden gems are those moments when you allow yourself to go a little bit outside of where you normally go and find the cool neighborhoods and the cool town spaces, shops, restaurants that are just outside of your normal space. So I think those are the hidden gems in Chattanooga. I'm going to call out the sculpture fields at Montague Park. I feel like sculpture fields, while it's obviously gaining popularity, I think I see more people there than than we have in the past. I still talk to a lot of people who have never been. And it's something that I can just walk to from our neighborhood in Jefferson Heights. I really appreciate it. And things are kind of growing up around it, but I definitely encourage people to go see it. And what are ways people can enjoy Chattanooga like you? We live on Main Street, which is a very busy kind of entertainment area. So I think a lot of people come specifically to Main Street to come to the restaurants, uh, to go. I mentioned Belo Coffee is very close to us. Um, So there are all kinds of great things to do. And it's pretty easy to find street parking and then just walk around downtown. How about you, Chris? I would say that that is really the part of Chattanooga is enjoying it from the ground. So 
get out of your car, find a place that you can park and walk around and enjoy it as though you live there. I, I love living on Main Street because we're able to walk over to tons of restaurants. We're able to shop in shops like Warehouse Row or walk just a couple of miles down to the Chattanooga Bridge, the walking bridge, and enjoy some of the tourist parts that we think of as tourist parts, but also really the things that make Chattanooga, Chattanooga. All right, Chris, Mark, thanks so much. Thank you. Stay tuned for more conversations from We Are Downtown. For more information about River City Company, visit rivercitycompany.com. You're listening to Scenic Roots on WUTC. I'm Ray Bassett. Thanks for listening to Scenic Roots. We come to you from WUTC at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Email us at scenicroots423 at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at scenicroots423. Listen to us online anytime at wutc.org and the WUTC app. For Richard Winham and the rest of our team, join us again next time for Scenic Roots.